0: This is going to be the best book you ever read. Like, this is your new favorite book.
1: Off oh, internet, man. I love oh. Books oh, I need to I go, go to be introverted. Like...
2: <laughs> <laughs> welcome to Books in the City <laughs> <safe pod. laughs>
3: Hey, guys. Welcome to Books in the City and our last installment of our April Creator interview series. I'm Becky.
0: I'm Kayla. I'm Emily. I'm Libby.
4: I'm Claire Parker. And I'm Ashley Hamilton.
3: Yay, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you for having
3: us. So for those of you who don't know, Claire and Ashley are the hosts of the Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Before we get into that, can you talk about your podcast journey, how you guys met, and um, how you settled on your podcast idea, et cetera? Yes.
4: So this is our third podcast together. Fourth,
5: heyo. Fourth, if you count our limited edition Lindsay Lohan's Beach Club recap series. But since that, oh was, that oh. was listen, since that was a limited edition, we don't count it as like a failed podcast. But it, it was an entire series within. Well, it lived within our
4: first podcast, so it wasn't mm-hmm. like its own podcast that you could subscribe to, which is why I don't count it. But we met. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess four or five years ago and
5: we hit it off pretty quickly. We both do stand-up. I think that's important to say. So we're both stand-up comics in New York City and so we would see each other around Mm. and we kind of bonded over a sort of ironic love of Britney Spears. We noticed there was no Britney Spears podcast in the market and we felt like that was a huge hole that we could take advantage of and so we jumped in and we didn't know anything but we kind of like muscled our way through it and accidentally learned a lot and we did a ton of episodes we stopped when the free britney movement started three years ago because we felt like it wasn't Mm. fun anymore to just like be joking we like made fun of her lovingly like she wears a lot of khaki shorts there's a lot of smudged eyeliner she's never wearing (laughs) shoes and we love her for that it was yeah so we like teased her like a sister but then when it seemed like she was in peril we didn't think it was fun anymore so we switched
4: yes so then we also at that point had been podcasting together for almost two years a year and a half or so we'd known each other for like two years and we had started fighting a lot
5: <laughs> we were both we had this one summer where we were both unemployed uh neither we were both single we were both working on this web series together and so we would spend like 10 hours a day together I think it was a really like codependent like, yeah platonic relationship it got it got messy we were fighting constantly (laughs) so we started a podcast called we're in a fight with claire and ashley yeah oh my
2: god (laughs) to spend more time together
5: we thought that it would be a a really
4: like nuanced exploration of female friendships. And instead it was just us arguing a lot.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Start every episode being like, what was a fight we got into this week? And we quickly realized that it was actually not healthy for us to be constantly (laughs) recapping our fights and like almost getting into fights to have content for the podcast. So for our personal psyche, And for our friendship, we had to stop that podcast. (laughs) Yeah, we had a
4: segment called Enemies of the Podcast, and the list was just growing. Like, all of our personal enemies, we would just air it out on a podcast that anyone (laughs) could listen to. Anyway, then we decided to reel it back to our true love. And the only thing, we're both idiots, and the only thing we really know about is pop culture. So we thought Celebrity Memoir Book Club would be a really fun way to talk about celebrities. Also, we would read, learn words. Um, I don't know. <laughs>
5: I mean, I, I like we're, we're dumb, but we do have like, small hearts. Like not big hearts, but like we felt bad enough about the Britney thing. And I think now that everyone's seen like the Britney documentary, we were kind of c- aware of like how to consciously or ethically consume pop culture. And so our feeling was people are pretty mean to women. We don't want to be mean to women, but we'll hate them if they give us a valid reason. So we just started reading celebrities own books and then you're not <laughs> hating them for some like misogynistic outfit choice or like coming at their careers we're hating them for like their own words and i feel like that's fair game <laughs> so. yeah
4: and men too i mean really any celebrity like we love talking shit, and so when a celebrity writes a book that is just like an absolute heap of nonsense it is very fair game to be like listen the way they describe themselves is deeply unlikable and these are their words
5: yeah we heard the story
4: from their side and
5: we still think they're wrong
1: (laughs) they're incorrect a uh, quick interjection, how do you feel about this Brittany Red illusion, though, if you're keeping up with her Instagram account? Like, what is that? I about? honestly have
4: no idea what that's about. I'm very confused. And she said there's, like, some Project Pink launching in the next couple of days, and I think that it's all related, and I don't understand what it means, and I am um, afraid of the people that are controlling her. <laughs> So I don't think that any clues that she puts in her Instagram are clues to the public. Like, I don't think that she's controlling that. I think that they're like doing that for speculation purposes. Like they, they're trying to distract us. If anything, the red is like we're the bulls and they're flashing some red at us and being like, look over there.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So back then to CNBC for a second, can you give us a quick elevator pitch? I mean, I guess you kind of went into it, but an elevator pitch about the podcast that you are currently working on.
5: I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's Celebrity Memoir Book Club. We read the book. We we try to dissect it a la book club style. We, we love the pop culture. We love all the like little stories. And then I feel like it is fun. I mean, even the worst written ones, it's always interesting to see how people think they come across. I almost like the worst written ones because, you know, a good writer, they can control what the reader is thinking to some degree. You know what I mean? Like they want to, pitch themselves as brave and if you're a good writer it's not hard to seem brave in your own life story but some of these people want to show themselves as like sympathetic characters and when they can't even pull that off you're like wow (laughs) um who you are is coming across (laughs) loud and clear so we really we read them we go through all the good parts I mean all the things that a magazine would kind of take out and say here's all the juicy bits and then we give you kind of a rundown of who we think they are as people
4: yeah overall we read the book so no one else has to <laughs> and I think that we try for the most part to keep it to the book so even though there's a lot of other media around obviously if they're famous enough to have a memoir especially when I mean we don't necessarily only pick up like the big stars but you know for the, all of these celebrities have been in tablets have done interviews have like done a lot of other content outside of these books and we try to keep it like to the book as best we can unless there's like a glaring omission that we feel like we need to mention like a lot of the women will just like leave out full marriages that we like do feel like it's important <laughs> we to just, address
5: we just read Rob Lowe and he like very he casually out a sexual assault <sighs>
4: <laughs> that we like oh, nice. feel it's pretty important to address so you know when it's something like that that we feel like the omission actually like informs part of the book then it's yeah. Something that we try to look into.
1: Of all kind of like the people here who might be getting into the celebrity memoir game what's your favorite uh, memoir that you recommend everyone kind of starts with?
5: I personally really like Mariah Carey. I was gonna say that. I think it's actually, I don't know, she says her ghostwriter, I can't remember her ghostwriter's name, but she's like a good writer. She's a good author. And I think Ashley kind of has broken memoirs into two sections and it's like what I've done versus who I am. And the what I've done ones are kind of boring. It's like, I grew up in Ohio, my parents got divorced and it made me want to be an actor. And you're like, okay, whatever. But Mariah Carey's is like really beautifully done and kind of told through stories of almost vignettes and like um, personal relationships. And on top of being an incredible, performer and writer she talks a lot about what it was like to grow up half black in Long Island and I think she has an incredible life story that's like a pretty good it explains a lot of like American experience I think and in that way it's more than just a celebrity's memoir it's like an American life and more than I mean she says it's under black American authors in Amazon which at first I was like why would it be there as opposed to celebrities and it really is more the story about what it's like to grow up. A mixed race in America and it's very illuminating so I recommend that one
4: yeah I would say the two best um I would say Mariah Carey and Drew Barrymore's Wildflower are two of the best that we've read that are like good books about a character like you really I think see who someone is and then if you want just like juice like just like juicy gossip I would say probably Jessica Simpson has The best, like, listen. This is the name you wanted to hear. Like, you wanted to know how abusive John Mayer can be. Here it is, word for word. Let's get into it. You know? Yeah.
1: Oh boy.
0: Yeah. (laughs) 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 Who's one celebrity that you wish would write a memoir?
4: Oh, we've talked about this. I. Well, we have like a couple. One of them, I would say, Jennifer Aniston. There is a lot I need to know from
5: her side. I'm shocked that she hasn't actually. I guess I just assume I think like, she's pretty private. I yeah. think everything about her life has been yeah. so taken from her by the public consumption that she's just like, whatever's left yeah, is mine. <laughs> I think we both want a Katie Holmes. We read Leah Remini's about Scientology and that was very interesting. And I think to hear what Katie Holmes went through, I would love to know about. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would love to know. Um, Olsen twins, we would like. No, Olsen yes. twins. Oh
0: my God, yeah. really
5: need. I need good. to know some
4: more about that. Yeah, there are a handful. I think- um, lately I've been thinking about like Nicole Richie a lot I'm sure she'll write one eventually (laughs) I would love to she's a
1: big reader right like she's got a whole affiliation with Bellatrix yeah yeah
4: and I think that she is like a lot smarter than her like public persona just because she's known as just like Carol Silton's best friend and a party girl for the most part even though she's done a handful of other things since but
5: Um, I just think as someone who came from that life I mean she was addicted to heroin and she really like got it together and now seems to be in the stable like she's one in one of the few stable Hollywood relationships and I think would actually beyond just like a Hollywood tell I'll be interested to hear about that story of recovery she like does seem to have gotten it together totally. I'll, I just want to know what work she's had done because she looks great and I cannot. <laughs> I know there is it. something and I
4: good genetics. It's definitely not just filler, it's I don't definitely think it's not genetics. genetics.
5: <laughs>
3: <laughs> In all your celeb memoir reading, have you picked up on any kind of pattern between certain types of celebrities or has, have they all been pretty distinct?
4: Um, there are definitely patterns, but I don't think that it really falls by type. Like, I would say like all the music memoirs have, like the musicians have been a little bit different. Like the reality stars have all been a little bit different, but I think like Claire said, there is definitely patterns in the people who like really want you to know who they are. And there's the people who really have like mostly just done cool things. And it turns out
5: might not have a personality at all. Um, I think there's a good amount of celebrities who I think like, aren't superly successful. I think Rob Lizard is an example of someone who's been around forever, but he's not like a genius actor. He's not like somebody that you need to get inside the brain of. He was just like a hot guy who was in LA at the right time and yeah. keeps failing up. And so he's someone you read and you go, okay, well, you've been around interesting things cause you've been around famous people, but I don't know that you yourself are interesting. Whereas I think a Mariah Carey, for example, is somebody who's famous because she's like a genius. Yeah. I mean, and her book is mo- a lot about how she's written and produced like every mm-hmm. song that she's ever done. And I think a lot of people don't know that about her or give her credit for that. Yeah, and, and also, oh. And so I mean, just think it's more interesting to hear about her experience because she actually is someone that does something respectable. Whereas Rob Lowe or like Holly, a Kendra Wilkinson, we read a girl. I don't know if you guys know mm-hmm. the girl yeah. who's next door. I mean, yeah, you read it and you go, there's some crazy stories here, but I, you know what I mean? You're not like, God, let me know what you're, you know, and what's your experience? Like, how do you get in the zone of being a hot blonde <laughs> with fake boobs? It's not like, yeah, not peeking behind the curtain into anything, <laughs> any great insight. <laughs> but I also think that
4: there is like a story there, like an emotional story and like growth and things that could be there if they had enough self-awareness or like therapy or whatever and so i definitely think that there that's also like two camps is like the self-aware and the not self-aware like claire said earlier there are definitely people who like think that they're writing themselves um with like a very specific perspective like they really want to be that um you know like sympathetic like leading person like Holly Madison is another girl next door that we read and I think she really wants to present herself in a way that some I don't honestly know exactly what she was trying to do but like she very definitively didn't do it and so I think that these memoirs that like lack an enormous self-awareness are like really interesting
0: switching gears for a second to Housewives, I listened today to your episode with Erica Jean's ghostwriter and I loved it So two part question, what are your current thoughts on her situation? And I was dying because you guys mentioned Jen Shaw and breaking crazy news this week for listeners that don't know. She is a Salt Lake City housewife and is a part of this huge like federal telemarketing scam and can go to jail for up to 30 years. Like, it's crazy.
5: Um, Well, I think it's funny because like I found Erica Jane's book to be. Not that satisfying because she maintains her cool persona and that, I mean, she mm-hmm. makes all these decisions and I've gotten flack for this. Like I don't judge her, but one of the decisions she makes is when her son's one years old, she moves to L. A. to become an actress and leaves her son in New York, and I mean, people are like, no one would be mad if you if a dad did it. I don't care. I don't care that she did it. But what interests me is that in the book, there's not even a moment of deliberation. There's not a moment of doubt or guilt, and I find that to be deeply dishonest. I don't think any human being on earth could leave behind their infant son and not have a second thought about it. And I think the fact that she never gives you that kind of insight into her thought process or her like true inner psyche, was annoying I was like okay so I got nothing from this like mm-hmm. I now know your life story it's like the same as from the yeah, show it's exactly the same and so I think now that I see what's happening for people who don't know her husband is a famous class action loss lawyer he's from er- uh, Aaron Brockovich she's that guy and he represented all these people whose family members died in a plane crash and then he was caught embezzling millions of dollars from their settlement and putting it into EJ Global which is Erica Jane Global her Company, which of which she's the only board member. Oh my so god! She filed for divorce right before the lawsuit hit the fan. He's now claiming that he has Alzheimer's and he can't go into court. His brother Oops. is his conservator and saying he's too old and frail. He only has two Another conservator? They're all over. <laughs> yeah. Where'd they come from? Well, like 2021, they came out of the woodwork. Amanda Bynes was in one. Misha Barton was in. One. Most people, it turns out, have been in a conservatorship. <laughs> <But> we're <laughs> the only <laughs> one. Breaking, Breaking news! I had now. no idea. <laughs> people are like erica jane's trying to pretend that she never knew that he was embezzling money but she lived this exact like insane over the top life where they had two private jets like a local one and a long distance one she had this insane fake career that she paid for i mean there's no way she didn't know that bitch is cold as ice i believe that a man could support her and be her husband for 30 years and the minute the going gets tough she's out of there so yeah the book did not do her any favors in terms of making her seem like an honest, loving person who cares about others. I'm so curious. I
0: hear that we're going to see this play out on the show, but she is so historically cold about things and like tight lips. So I'm curious how much will actually like leak like, I don't think
5: any. I feel like she's, she's got a poker face for days. I guess she'll take that poker face to court and see how it did. Yeah. And then Jen Shaw. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. The other Jen Shaw, she just got arrested on, like federally, for she was running a nine year long fraudulent telemarketing company. <laughs> oh no. Where she was like gathering lists of vulnerable old people that would be easy, easy to trap and trick and selling them to companies who would then sell fake products to old people <gasps> over the phone and she would get a oh cut. No. And so she mm-hmm. was oh arrested God. by the FBI. And allegedly,
0: the FBI showed up while they were leaving for their cash trip and it was all filmed so tbd oh if bravo's allowed to air that but it's been like a wild week for yes. housewives fans
1: cash trip like they paid in cash cast <laughs> oh okay. cast i was like who, who what kind of like, maybe Andy jen is going down where they're paying for cash yeah. like trips and no one went that seems wrong no. um, <laughs> anyways so you're both comedians which is really cool um and i wonder i know that like comedian memoirs are a flavor of like literature and I was wondering if you have a favorite memoir by a stand-up comedian or like a famous comedian that you gravitate towards or do you prefer like not to read about other people's careers like that
5: I feel like we haven't done comedians just because I feel like I'm too scared to hate on somebody Mm -hmm. who could one day give me a job (laughs) I also (laughs) I feel like
4: um, there are a couple of comedy memoirs I, that I've read like separately and especially when I was younger and like wanting to get into comedy, but especially for the podcast, I think a lot of times if we're too close to a subject, I mean, when, whenever we start talking about comedy, it all gets like very inside baseball. And we're talking about like the nuanced pieces that I don't think anyone listening would actually care about unless they were also comedians. And then there are like 10 million podcasts out there. that are like comedian talking to comedian podcasts. And so, like, if you want to hear like how famous comedians got started, like their Marin episode probably does that. And so, for us to start talking about it, I think it would be like a whole different podcast for that episode. And I don't know if our listeners like it, would like it. I don't know.
5: I I read Nora Ephron's like a while ago, and I really liked that. I do think like yeah. people who can write are better writers. <laughs> totally.
3: So okay, we're gonna do a rapid fire thing where we're gonna ask you who is more likely okay. to. And then we'll see what you have to Should say. We say the so words? the first I'll just one, to say
5: names because as a podcast, yeah, yeah, okay. okay.
3: Who is most likely to write a memoir about their own life experiences?
5: I think both of us. Yeah, we're both deeply nervous. I mean, comedy <laughs> is nothing if not sharing your own <laughs> life experiences. We're pretty self-absorbed in an equal. Yeah, we've taken a book about celebrity <laughs> memoirs and like so taken the opportunity split. to talk
4: about ourselves for like fifteen minutes to half an hour up top every <laughs> week. <laughs>
2: Um, okay who is more likely to move away from New York City Ashley
5: yeah because I think she's from Chicago and there's a good comedy scene Mm -hmm. there so I feel like my family is local Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense so there's nowhere else for me to really go
0: (laughs) (laughs) who's more likely to stake out a restaurant where they know their favorite celebrity is eating
4: also me, <laughs> I feel like there are not that many celebrities I would do it for, but there's like a handful of celebrities that I would like probably kill myself to meet. So if one of those was nearby, I would sleep on a sidewalk. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Great, uh, who was, is more likely to go viral on TikTok?
5: Um, I guess Claire. I think, I think she, viral, goes- she goes viral more, but I feel like I go viral bigger. Yeah.
4: I have more like mid sized, yeah, hits, and you have like I'm like close huge to the ba- mills. Yeah. yeah. I'm
5: like a, a blockbuster or a bomb. <laughs> I'm either Charlie's Angels one or Charlie's Angels three. You know what I mean?
4: I'm an indie darling.
5: <laughs> I love that. Who is more likely
3: to get into a Twitter fight with a celebrity? Claire. I'm, Claire.
5: <laughs> I'm a psycho. I'll get into. A- I mean. The thing is, when I'm when I'm in a mood, celebrity not, I mean, you could be a child, you could be a dog, you could be, I mean, you could be Obama. I will fight anybody. I'm a real, I have like a, I have the opposite of conflict avoidance. Yeah, that's true.
3: Has it happened before? It kind of sounds like it
5: might have. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think I've ever gotten into a big fight with a big celebrity, but I've definitely fought with Almost anybody. I think anybody who's ever really caught my orbit.
4: Yeah. I think that if any, like, people will come at you with, like, something that they think is a joke. They'll, like, tag a joke and Clara will just, like, come at them for their throat being, like, you think you're fucking funny. Like, what you said makes (laughs) no sense and you look disgusting and I hate your children. Oh,
3: my gosh. Check me on the chick. Got him. (laughs) Got
1: him. Okay. This is very important. Who – is more likely
5: to go on love island
4: claire yeah i feel like claire would um be on a reality tv dating show in a heartbeat
5: we, we the only thing it. holding me back is my dumb fucking boyfriend but <laughs> otherwise i have, i like i auditioned for the bachelor i got through a couple oh rounds my God. oh i was asked to, i was asked to audition for the circle i didn't get past any rounds there but um i oh do feel God. like because i'm so conflict. i don't know that the like Seeking. like i will go into a conflict like speaking
1: well i feel like dating shows need always one of those yeah. to yeah. like stir the pot especially in love island because you're all cooped up in a mm-hmm. house where you're not allowed to connect with anybody in the real world totally.
5: so- <gasps> i'm a gossip and i'm a call out and i'm and i'm a flirt and i uh i am not a slut but Not Faith. Well, you know what I mean? Like, I would date – I would – I would date them all. Do you know what I mean? I'd be the girl who's, like, I think I'm in love. And then one week later, I'd be like, but I didn't know there was a better option. (laughs) If you were on
1: Love Island, I'd be rooting for you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Look at her go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Who's more likely to become a real housewife?
4: Also, Claire, probably. Me. Yeah. I feel like you just, like, have that reality TV thing. Plus, you're in a finance relationship and (laughs) – So you'll have the house <laughs> to be a wife of. <laughs> Everyone I date is like truly like poorer than poor.
2: <laughs> okay. Who is more likely to be mentioned in another celebrity's memoir?
5: I kind of feel like me because I had that Raya dating period. Yeah. Oh, just so. Yeah. I feel like I'd. Yeah. I feel like
4: you've also like met more celebrities than like a casual capacity.
5: I could really also yeah I really feel like I'm I could be a tag along to a group with a famous person and be the reason he was hit by a car
3: (laughs) oh my god because I was let's hope not
5: yeah (laughs) like this girl was there and she was on her phone and I went to grab her as a truck came by and instead I got hit She sent the truth, (laughs) though.
3: So So at the end of all of our episodes, we go around and share what we are currently reading or, well, what we're going to pick up next. Um, Is there anything you guys are reading right now or going to pick up soon that you'd like to share?
5: We're reading right now for our next episode, I Don't Know What You Know Me From by Judy Greer. Yeah. Oh. So that That one's fun. And then a not-celebrity memoir. I've been, like, getting... I can't even remember what it's called. It's about, like damn it's nonfiction. it's about housing in america i don't know (laughs) it's not evicted not evicted it's about like the uh, how like housing laws in america have created segregation
4: interesting like redlining and stuff du jour lovely yeah um i just read a non-memoir i read such a fun age that um that that book was really good and it was like a very really nice fiction like i don't i just i have a couple like palette cleansers like one book that i always pick up between not always between memoirs sometimes you read a lot back to back but if i have time or if we've read one that really pissed me off i'll do like a palette cleanser while i'll read like high fidelity or something because i that's like just a book that i really like and i love picking it up and reading a little bit of it between memoirs that made me really mad <laughs> did you watch the show yeah i loved the show I loved
2: it too. I was like curious how they were going to do it with the. Yeah, swap. I loved the movie.
4: Yeah. I loved the book. I loved the show. Yeah, and I the like, movie. Ugh, it's like a whole. So good.
1: <laughs> I was going to say that's a very indie darling of you to actually read the book.
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs>
5: So where can our listeners find you guys online? Everywhere. Um, <laughs> our podcast is Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Our, and then th- that podcast has its Instagram, Celebrity Memoir Book Club, the TikTok Celebrity Memoir Book Club. And then I personally am Claire the Scare on TikTok and on Instagram. And then Sorry Don't Claire on Twitter.
3: If you want to get into a fight burning. on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. You know where to go. Yes. If you want to watch
5: me get into fights. Go tell her a joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just <laughs> I mean, well, right into the problem with TikTok is everybody has something to say and then they'll come in and all my TikTok stuff is jokes and they come in with like their science and I'll be like, yeah, I'm joking. And they'll be like, I'm joking too. And I'll be like, you weren't or you're not funny. So
4: <laughs> you not- either weren't
5: joking or you Gosh. should stop joking.
4: <laughs> yeah, um, also our um, Twitter for the podcast is at CNBC underscore podcast. And then I'm at Ashley Ham, on everything three m's ashley ham with three m's i mm, <laughs> <We> love ham
3: <laughs> thank you guys so much for coming on this thank was so you much so fun. much for
5: having us
2: should we talk about books yeah mm-hmm. kayla you should start oh my god why are <laughs> we so
3: awkward kayla, oh you're god. up first uh, i don't know <laughs>
0: Okay, I read Kisses and Croissants by Anne-Sophie Johanyu. Thank you to Underline for sending this to me. So this is a YA book, and I realized that I, in the last few years, have only done YA fantasy. But I, like the beginning of April, was really in a slump. I DNFed a lot, was not like loving what I was reading. So I was like, you know what? I want something fun. So I picked this up, and it did the trick so the main girl is mia she's 17 she's from new york and she's a ballerina and i just thought this the whole book like ballet is like the main theme um and i was a cheerleader and like we were rivals with the dancers so i know like nothing about dance (laughs) so but i was always so fascinated by ballet specifically so i really liked learning about it more in this book so Mia is extremely talented, and her dream is to become a professional dancer. She's from this family of ballerinas, like going back on her mom's side of the family, and there's this family legend that her great, 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 there might be one more great in there, grandmother danced in this famous Parisian opera back in the 1800s, and the folklore is that she's in one of the famous Degas ballerina paintings, which I didn't even realize Ooh. this was a real artist until I was writing my notes. What you
1: didn't know, know Dega. anything about art about Degas?
0: <laughs> so, yeah, sure. I feel like you can't you can't avoid <laughs> so a college French
1: dorm room without a Degas ballerina photo. Yeah, I don't know, we
0: didn't he have that a... at
1: FAT Big creep. He uh,
0: was. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. What do you
3: think? He he. His, he's most famous for painting pictures of like little girls dancing. Oh,
2: oh my God. Yeah. Uh, well, no. then this like
0: gives this book like a weird like undertone then. But he was
2: re- the move. He was
3: really good. So, <laughs> I mean, he was a good artist. The pictures were nice. Skills like, skills wise, for sure. But all of those artists say, were back were in the day were yeah, yeah. problematic. I like were all
0: creeps. So Mia is like obsessed with those paintings and she's obsessed with the idea that like she's descended from this famous ballerina and it's like her destiny to also become a famous ballerina. So Mia and her grandma really believe the legend and are super interested in it. But her mom is skeptical. and she doesn't she's supportive of Mia, but she doesn't really love like, she doesn't love that she's focusing her whole life on ballet because if you really like look into how much time especially like teenage girls spend doing ballet like it's their whole lives it's like you go to school and then you're doing ballet literally all night so her mom kind of like wants her to have a backup plan but mia's like no because i'm gonna succeed on this plan so the book opens with her though like landing in paris so right away we're there and She goes to the school and it turns out she's assigned to share a room with her biggest rival, this girl Audrey, who it's like, they didn't say it specifically, but the vibe is like Audrey always comes in first and me a second. Like they're the top two, but Audrey like just has like better precision and like she's the number one. So they begin competing for the same role in Swan Lake. And that's like there's a bunch of like different plot points happening. And like that's a whole storyline like her and Audrey. I'm not going to touch on anymore, though. So then she's walking out of class one day and she bumps into this boy, of course, outside the school and they hit it off. His name is Louis and he's he's French and he's really interested in the family legend and like kind of loves how much Mia, because she's like researching it while she's there. So he's like, I'm going to help you figure out if this is real or not. So then when she's the storylines with her and louis they're like running around Paris, trying to like find this painting trying to figure out if her great whatever grandmother actually was a famous dancer she ends up meeting like a great aunt that she never knew and learning more about her family and like how much ballet means to her family so that was really fun and yeah that's like all i'm gonna say because so much does happen in this book i was shocked like how much was packed and i was Like, if I read this as a teenager, I would have been like, whoa, like blown away by like all these things. But like, I guess you like grow up a bit with your reading, but it was fun to like just be immersed in this world. It's very French. You're like, I felt like I was in Paris. Her and Louis were so cute. The whole storyline with Audrey was very interesting about how like, girls are pitted against each other when it turns out like we don't need to be competing all the time the ballet aspect was so much fun i learned so much i like fell into emily mentioned to me to watch like youtube videos about a Day in the Life of a Ballerina. Oh, did you do it? I fell into a... R- I finished this book at like midnight and then like until 1.30 in the morning I was watching
1: <laughs> YouTube videos. I told you oh they're addictive. They're addicting.
0: I'm like, Their I are want to be a ballerina. Wild. <laughs> like, like me too. I,
1: I watch those videos and I'm like, I can do point. There's still time for me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like fascinating and like, I have so much respect for them. Like, I can't even imagine. And I also knew literally nothing about ballet except for like, it messes up your feet and it's beautiful but even like the technical terms that were used in this book it didn't feel I didn't feel lost I felt like I was actually like learning about it and like the importance of it through Mia so that was fun and the family mystery was my favorite plot line and it was really fun to read about and her like discover everything all over Paris so yeah I gave it four stars it pulled me out of my slump and I really enjoyed it that sounds so fun yeah What's it called again? Kisses and Croissants by Anne-Sophie Johanneu. Becky?
3: Okay, so I read Gold Diggers by Sanjana Santhian. Thank you to Penguin Press for the e-copy. Before I get started, content warning for suicide and addiction. Okay, so this book was so good. It's magical realism, and it's a different kind of magical realism than I'm used to, but Maybe that's because I have the wrong definition of
0: <laughs> I would say you love magical realism. Yeah,
3: okay. So like I think we've established that I don't define it properly because I think this really is magical realism and I just like magical books. <laughs> like <laughs> like for example, I think Aaron Morgenstern's books are magical realism kind of, but more on the magic side. Yeah. Like the Night Circus. But this is like fully our world fully the world that we know with like one little magical element that like it's not like they they have magic powers it's just like a magical element that's just like yeah this is a thing that exists
2: Mm. yeah that's i think magical realism where it's like
3: just incorporated in the real world exactly that's this so our main <laughs> character <laughs> clear that up <laughs> figure that out our main character is a boy named neil he's a second generation indian american growing up in atlanta and when the book opens it's the early 2000s like bush era there's aim instant messenger references mm-hmm. nice basically he's a millennial like i said he's second generation and so are all his friends everyone around him they're like super high achieving and the adults expect like Ivy League straight A's extracurriculars like constantly saying like we came here to America for you to like have the American dream and all of that and so all of his friends are like yep we got to do it we got to do it we're doing like debate competitions and all of these extracurriculars and Neil just doesn't have that much ambition he doesn't have the same drive as everyone around him he and he like is kind of down on himself about it his friend group is very much like what i think most american teens have where like you're friends with the same kids from childhood all through up into high school just by default because like your parents are friends with each other and so like there's like scenes in the book where he's at like these family parties and there's like the one room that everyone goes to in the basement and like hangs out and it's like they're not close friends but they are because they're at these things like all the time with each other Mm -hmm. they're like forced to hang out it's hard to explain but like when I was reading I was like oh yeah I know that exact like feeling of going to that party and being like oh well we don't talk really that much in school but we're friends Mm
5: -hmm, mm
3: -hmm. one girl in that group is Anita and I wrote in my notes she's got ambition out the wazoo
4: (laughs) hey whoa I also
3: googled wazoo too because I was like why do I say that is that like inappropriate what's the definition it comes from like the French word for bird I'm not really sure why. I thought it was butt. I thought it was butt. Oh, well, maybe, but she's got <laughs> ambition out of it. Um, <laughs> she's exceptionally successful in school. She is a Miss Teen India Georgia contestant and a really good one. She's just hyper focused and like killing it at everything she does. And one day, Neil accidentally stumbles upon the secret to why she's so ambitious.
1: (gasps) Oh. And
3: this is where the magical realism element comes in. And I don't want to go into too much detail, but I think I kind of have to to explain this. So basically, Anita's mother, and you learn a lot about her and how she came to this magical thing. She essentially brews a lemonade drink that has liquid gold from stolen jewelry of, like, the oh! other ambitious kids and people in, in <gasps> Whoa. the neighborhood. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I drink that. Basically, like, <laughs> if you drink it, you get some of the ambition and drive that that person who owned that jewelry.
2: Do they lose
3: it? Do they lose what? Do
2: that, the, the person who had it stolen from them lose a the little of their ambition?
3: Or does it so not? So I don't know, but that's something that's kind of, like thought about in the book and I, I don't want to say anything okay, else. okay. Mm-hmm. Neil wants in as soon as possible when he f- figures out about this like lemonade um and without going into it Neil it kind of leads Neil into becoming addicted to it and completely mm-hmm. addicted to like Anita and her mom oh. and so fast forward second half of the book Neil's in grad school in California he's lost touch with Anita things happen I'm not gonna say what that leads to that but
2: I have a question sorry yes
3: how old were they before this it was high, high school? school they were like it's it's it must be like junior all. it's like the important part of high school where it's like oh, okay. you're figuring out what you're gonna do after Mm-kay. so the second half of the book fast forwards to Neil in grad school in California he's studying history and he's writing his dissertation on the gold rush and he's but he's still kind of stuck in this place of like Me, I wrote mediocrity is that the right word yeah yeah I get it confused with meritocracy for some reason anyway (laughs) (laughs) he's stuck in a meritocracy (laughs) aren't we all all? (laughs) (laughs) um uh, anyway So he's kind of stuck in a place of mediocrity and his friends from high school are finding their place. His sister's getting married and he's once again like feeling left in the dust feeling like my life is not going anywhere. Why am I like such a deadbeat? I can't say much else but eventually he's still taking the no. Oh, okay. Eventually though Neil and Anita reconnect and that's all I'm going to say. They rehash some things something very dramatic and eventful happens that's like wild and i can't really say anything else about the plot (gasps) i want to read this so good um i really enjoyed it it's got some dark elements like i said those content warnings it's really funny at times the writing is like so so good it has really interesting historical elements the gold rush element and like his the history of like how anita's mom got into brewing golden lemonade okay and very, very realistic romance.
1: Oh, cool. Mm. It kind of reminds me of, like, Water for Chocolate or something like that,
2: right? think like, isn't Chocolate. Wait, isn't that called Water for Elephants? No, there's cho- the no. chocolate one where her feelings are in the... Yeah. Oh, I've never Is heard of this. that called Water for Chocolate?
1: Uh, well, it's a Spanish book, so it's like, como agua para chocolate. Oh, okay, I guess. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. A, also a movie. I think... I've never heard of that. What? Wha? What? What? <laughs> that's it <wazoo. laughs> So, like, well, anyway, that's the
2: appropriate i um, of that word. <laughs> oh my god! So, uh,
3: the magical elements <laughs> in this book like, oh, are oh, really, god. really cool. <laughs> Back on track. And I think it's a really, really good take on the millennial experience, but also a look that's into you know a window into the Indian American experience and the immigrant experience in America and being second generation I don't have any experience with this obviously but it it was relatable even though I have no experience if that makes sense like the way it's written is just so like I don't know I loved
2: it also just like the millennial ambition like, yeah
3: yeah seeking attitude or whatever yeah it's like yeah. we as millennials have that kind of like you know your parents are like when are you gonna get married oh your sister's getting married and you know oh when are you or what job are you going to get buying a high house? School? like when are you buying a house you know all of that but then it's like taken to another level with the immigrant mm-hmm. experience of like the pressure of your parents you know came here to make your life better and so that's like heightened and that's like a very big thing in this book obviously with neil like lacking the ambition he feels his parents are p- putting on him and I don't know. It was so good. Five star read. Um, Ooh! I can't wait to read more books by this author. Like so, so good. Is like, this her there's... first? Yeah. Was
2: this a debut?
3: Yes, I think this is her debut. Um, and this is called Gold Diggers by Sanjana Suthian Also, look at that cover. Yeah, the it's cover. Oh yeah, cover. the cover is amazing. I had the e galley, and I'm absolutely buying the hard copy because Ooh. I need it on my shelf. Like it's so pretty. I also love how literal the title is for the book. Yeah. Um, also, I read when I was doing my notes for this that the rights were bought to make this a movie by Mindy Kaling. Hopefully, I'm like, I'm like no longer getting all that excited about rights being bought for from books because like, I'm still waiting for the Gilded Years.
0: I had this discussion with my sister because A Quarter of Thorns and Roses was like, I don't remember how they worded it, but it was, like, optioned or whatever. I was like, well, we'll see if it gets made. And she was like, well, they announced it. And I was like, authors announce every
1: single day that their rights were bought. I know someone whose, like, family member was um, involved in, like, Hollywood script making and buying. And that's a fairly common practice. I guess, like, they buy rights to promising books. um, Because there's, like, a 10-year-old book on my shelf that I recently bought. And someone was saying that they had bought the rights for that a long time ago. And that just means that they basically buy so no one else out the it. author so no one else can have it. But they might not make the movie. In fact, most times they don't make the movie. Yeah.
0: I, wonder, I guess that's always been going on. We're just like more in tune to it now. Yeah. Well, we'll see,
3: hopefully, because I would love to watch this movie.
2: Yeah, that sounds like it would be really good. Mm-hmm. Wow, I need to read this. Yes, read it. Libby, what did you read? Okay, this is interesting because... Speaking of millennials, <laughs> but maybe like the bad way. Oh, oh. Um, So I read "Exciting Times" by Nisha Dolan, which came out. Oh, the toothbrush last cover. year in twenty twenty. Really good, like forest green cover with the uh, three toothbrushes. I would totally on it. frame
3: that in my bathroom.
2: It's a good, oh, it's a good cute. cover. Uh, before I get into it, it's I think worth noting that this book, when it came out last year, naturally drew a ton of comparison to Sally Rooney. And I think is like drawing that comparison in most of the reviews of it. The author's super young. She attended Trinity College, which is where Sally Rooney went. She's like chic looking. She's Irish. She wrote a book about like fraught, toxic, romantic relationships. And there are like themes of Marxist leanings in the book. So I think it's a hard act to follow. And then I also think you're sort of setting up for a little bit of failure when you're like... You know, I think anyway, like immediately compared to somebody like
3: Sally sort Rooney, sort
2: of, th- somebody, anyone with like such an established, like obsessive Cult following, following. Yeah, yeah, I think it's tough. Um, so th- I was just like, that was in the back of my mind while I was reading, and something to keep in mind now, I guess. But this book tells the story of Ava, she is a 22 year old Irish girl who recently moved to Hong Kong to teach English after she graduates from college and she's like a little listless she's not super convinced by the whole like adulthood thing she's not super motivated by like anything she's pretty millennial in that she is very well learned and recognizes that she's sort of been set up for failure in a society that values things that aren't attainable for her but at the same time has kind of contradictory like views on you know like what she herself is capable of achieving or like doesn't even know what she wants to achieve and that kind of like contradictory thing so she goes to Hong Kong she's very sad very lonely she's like not sure why she's even there and one night in a bar she notices this dude making eyes at her so the two start talking in the bar and he is Julian, he's 28, and he's a rich, successful banker from England. And at first they have this like kind of weird, unlikely friendship where they just like get together after work and he pays for meals that they share and then they just go their separate ways and then eventually it's just easier for her to start going to his apartment and and then eventually it like, of course, turns sexual. But it's one of those like toxic kind of relationships where he is super non-committal and Ava is super non-communicative and it makes for just like really toxic energy and it's really fun between them (laughs) (laughs) um so Ava eventually moves into his apartment she had been staying in like a long-term Airbnb and it wasn't ideal circumstances so she moves in she doesn't have to pay rent she also like eventually kind of just like gets access to his credit cards and he he's uh, like you know paying for entire livelihood which is interesting wait, difference? he's 28 she's 22 okay uh, so it's not i mean it's not like crazy it's not crazy but it i would say matters and i think in the uk like class is obviously a different mm-hmm. socioeconomic factor and there's a difference between their two like classes you know So she has some moral qualms about all of this and it's like in a very internalized like am I a shitty feminist? Like am I a bad woman for like doing this? But at the same time I don't make enough and also I don't have any friends so like here I am. So she's you know on paper not the most like immediately lovable character. He I hated. He sucks like so it's that kind of book where you're like introduced to these people who are just bad Mm. or Complex, but also just like, uh, you know, it's hard to get behind either of them. The whole thing with Julian and Ava's relationship was interesting eventually because as I was reading it, I started to realize that like Ava's an unreliable narrator of her own life. Like she is non-communicative to Julian to the point where even as she's like having internal thoughts about their relationship, she's like, non-communicative to her internal monologue so the reader like I had to st- remind myself to like look through her bullshit it. yeah because you're mm. like she says she wants something to Julian in her head she says what she actually wants but then you know as the reader like wait she actually actually wants something that she won't even like let herself think in her head Mm -hmm. so that was an interesting way to read a book like this I feel like that's not super common in these kind of like literary fiction relationships. like (laughs) I get so frustrated (laughs) she's not a good she's annoying yep okay so Julian eventually has to go away to London on an extended work trip and Ava's just going to like stay at his place while he's gone. She has met his friends and kind of like hates all of them. But she shortly after Julian leaves, like kind of stays in touch with this one friend, Victoria. And through Victoria, she meets Victoria's co-worker, who is this 22 year old woman named Edith. So she has this like Julian shaped hole in her life and like no friends again. So Ava and Edith start spending time together and Ava quickly realizes that she's like fully in love with Edith and there's it's like a very slow burn kind of in the way that Ava and Julian's relationship was but then there's like added layers and yeah eventually Edith is like providing her with all of the you know outward affection and just like communication that she's been missing from Julian so this is happening Ava Doesn't explain to Edith what the nature of her relationship with Julian was. Like she obviously brings him up and Edith is aware that like it's his apartment. He pays for pretty much all of it. And she like outright asked at one point like uh, did you sleep together? And Ava just like lies and it's (laughs) not Mm -hmm. great. They And Edith and Ava start dating too while Julian's away. Then Julian... And Ava are still staying in touch while he's in London. He lets her know he's coming home in a week. And she's like, I got to figure out what to do here with like all three of them. So that's the plot of this book. I can't tell if you liked it or not. Straightforward.
3: Yeah. So,
2: okay. I thought the book was smart. Like I thought the writing was really clever. And the way that class and politics come into it was pretty interesting. Like... Ava like I said she's well educated she's smart she's she has super left-wing politics but then it's interesting to see how she you know is able to just like put that aside to like coexist with the embodiment of like somebody who directly challenges her politics like Julian Mm -hmm. works for a big bank he and like his type of work is like directly responsible for this like hardship kind of that her country is experiencing economically and they like discuss that and it's not like you know it's very clear that she's just like looking the other way or like choosing to not even really give up her politics but the way that she coexists with Julian is interesting and like what it demonstrates about I think politics I uh, okay I was reading a Goodreads review that made a point that and this is my own like ignorance too, while I was reading it but I made a point that this book there's really no reason it's set in Hong Kong and when I was thinking back on it there's there's one Chinese character who's prominent it's really fixated on white people in Hong Kong and that's like part of it too like Ava works for this company and she's like they only hire white people and we just don't talk about it And it felt like it's trying to comment sort of on, you know, UK or American people who go to foreign countries to teach English. But I don't really feel like it did enough work like delving into that trend to like justify setting it in Hong Kong or like it kind of like... It missed the mark. It missed the mark. It sort of portrays this entire country and all of these secondary characters as kind of like either just flat or in the worst case like stereotypes edith is the only asian character and she doesn't really even come into play until like a good halfway through thinking back on it i think that part of the book is kind of gross and Mm -hmm. like just doesn't do enough to like make it okay I guess. And even like the title, like exciting times is in reference to, it's a conversation Ava and Julian are having early on. And like when they first meet about like two tropical storms that are coming that fall. And also kind of in reference to like banking and economics and the big market or just sort of like abstract banking stuff. And they're like, Oh, exciting times. And, you know, so it comes from this like ignorant, white people having a conversation in a country that they are sort of like refusing to make their community kind of thing. And I think like within all of this, there's commentary there. But yeah, to, to me, I'm just like, did it? Is it actually just like problematic and doesn't quite delve into it enough? I don't know. That is a lot. Sorry. I just like kind of went on and on. And the other thing to mention, the characters suck. Um, <laughs> I read Normal People And the thing about Marianne and Connell from Normal People is I felt like they had, like, emotional motivations sometimes that were flawed but that I could, like, get behind or relate to. And Julian, I just was like, who are you? (sighs) He sucked. And then Ava, like, even if you can understand the logic of, like, these decisions she's making, it's just, like, really was hard for me to, like, get behind them at any point. So I just, you know, you know, you read like books with people you don't care about. And like sometimes it works, but then sometimes it doesn't. So what made you finish reading it? The writing, I think, was clever. And I was, I mean, it's short and quick. And I was like, damn, what's going to happen when Julian comes back? Mm. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) So what did you rate it? I gave it three stars because... I thought the writing was clever and witty and fun to read. And then I also did like how, you know, some of the politics came into play and that like how millennials are sometimes situated in politics in this like contradictory and impossible way. I thought that was interesting. If anyone like based in the UK has read this, I do think it would be an interesting, they might have a different or more interesting take because like Brexit comes up, um, like I said, class comes up too. And I think it would be interesting to hear from someone who maybe like some of these issues are a little closer to home Mm -hmm. for. But, yeah, that was (laughs) (laughs) exciting times by Nisha Dolan. Nice. Cool. Emily.
1: Okay. So I read a book in honor of the Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Oh. And I read Wishful Drinking by Carrie Fisher oh yes um so it came out in 2008 it's not her last book and I highly recommend it on audiobook it's a 10 out of 10 for me because the author reads it 10 out of 10 we're beyond five stars (laughs) (laughs) in in terms of like I'm trying to track what's a good audiobook and what's a bad audiobook and this is a very good one like I almost think you get a better experience listening to it and so Carrie Fisher we might reads it she reads it out yeah yeah So she wrote this after she underwent ECT. I think it stands for electroconvulsive therapy. The non-PC term for it would be like electroshock therapy, um, which is a pretty intense form of therapy. And she literally lost some of her memories after this. Oh, my God. And she kind of talks about recalling her memories, like waking up from this experience and being like, allegedly... I am a celebrity, and allegedly, I am Princess Leia. And so, oh wow, she kind of like narrates her journey, you know, through the her past and recovering some memories and choosing to share like selective ones.
0: Recovering memories are being told, like, hey, you're this super famous person in the arguably the most famous movie franchise ever. Yeah, it's
1: funny because she opens it up as I wrote this, and her voicemail box at the time was. Something her friend had written and was like, "Hi, this is Carrie Fisher's voicemail. She might not remember you because she just had electroshock therapy." And leave a tell, like leave a message at the beep, and we'll try to remember who you are or something. <laughs> oh but <my> God. Um, <laughs> oh my God. I mean, the whole thing, the whole thing is serious but really funny. <laughs> and um, she also performed this as a one-woman show, oh, and then wrote wow. the book. So the thing. I loved about this is Carrie is very in the know about the fact that she's got this very unconventional upbringing. So her parents are famous. Grandma Aggie. Grandma Grandma Aggie. And she, her parents are Debbie Reynolds and Eddie Fisher. Halloween Town. Halloween Town. Yes. (laughs) And based on what she says about Debbie Reynolds, I almost feel like she was kind of like Aggie Cromwell in real life. (laughs) That's what I've heard. Yeah. And she kind of likens her parents' marriage, which happened in the 50s, at the peak of like the golden age of cinema, to a modern day. That was a, like, a wild story, too. Yeah, like to kind of Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston and Angelina Jolie, because her father left when she was very small and went on to have affairs with Elizabeth Taylor and like a lot of different <gasps> women. They're in this kind of, she calls it Hollywood inbreeding, because at one point, they she makes like a diagram of all the marriages involving her parents and all the divorces and stuff um and there's a funny anecdote i'll talk about later but because of this she grows up in a house with her mother that she calls the embassy because it was (laughs) lavish it had like eight refrigerators and the whole time she's got a very like (laughs) such a random tidbit in like three pools or something and she's got a very tongue-in-cheek way of referring to it and she would be like Because, you know, in case the seven dwarves came. Or, like, three pools, just in case two of them broke. You know, (laughs) so there's, like, a humor to it that makes it digestible because... Like, aware it's ridiculous. Yeah, because I think that's another thing that impressed me about her memoir is a different person would have, A, either never shared this about their life, or, B, never seen that it's ridiculous. And I think those two things make her who she is and super relatable. So I'll, I'll talk about that in a bit. But I think there's a groundedness to her, despite the fact that she had this, you know, pretty objectively wild upbringing. And there's like a a level of relativity to her that makes her someone that a lot of people want to get to know she, because she was growing up watching her parents on on in movies. And Debbie Reynolds, for those who don't know, was in Slinging in the Rain and a lot of other like MGM gold standard classics. And she recalls having a hard time separating fantasy from reality at a very early age because she'd watch movies that her mom was in. And they felt like home videos, you know, because you're watching your mom and you think it's gross that she's kissing this actor or whatever. And because of their work schedules, she recalls having like very little attention. (laughs) And I don't know, she, she's just really funny at sharing anecdotes. And she said, like, when she was born, her mom was anesthetized. So everyone was like, wow, look at Debbie. <laughs> just Debbie Reynolds from TV and movies. And, um, and her dad was there and he passed out. And they were like, look, that's Eddie Fisher on the floor. <laughs> and she she said she was born and the nurses, like, neglected her for a second. And she's like, and everything since has been me trying to get back those moments where I was not paid <laughs> attention to.
3: Aww.
1: Aww. Um. So following in her mother's footsteps, she was cast in this blockbuster movie that you may have heard of. <laughs> <laughs> and recalls how like dissociative it almost is to see your likeness, like your your face, as an icon, like literally turned into dolls, into pez dispensers. She's she's like, Imagine for someone who To see their head moved back off their neck to dismiss a pez, you know, like, and also the fact that for a lot of years, many young boys used her as bank bank material and would comment and send (laughs) bank bank material
5: and they would tell her about it. Really,
1: she'd meet people, and these men would be like, You know, I jerked off to you for 15 years, and she was like, What is wrong with that? Hi, nice to meet you. So, there's a lot of things in her memoir that are you know would do anyone said in in like any good memoir it's got juicy anecdotes in it like as we talked about with the hollywood inbreeding um she recalls her daughter billy wanting to date like a grandkid of elizabeth taylor and they had to draw out a tree to make sure <gasps> oh, they weren't related. Wow, that's funny <laughs> or when she went to a star wars convention and she stumbled across a leia doll with an quote anatomically correct galaxy snatch no on it and she had to call george lucas and be like this is not what i licensed oh my god um yeah like people have made sex dolls out of her and she has a very humorous like relationship with this kind of fucked up dark thing and she'd be like at least when people tell me to go fuck myself i can attempt it oh my god (laughs) and so this this humor like this dark humor coping mechanism is definitely a coping mechanism she's very transparent about it and she brings up you know the point of making light of all these heavy things has probably helped save her life and um kept her connected to her family also she was married to paul simon for
5: a couple years so
1: yeah there was a lot of a few songs written about her and they're marriage and divorce on Graceland and she was it's very cute because she's you know name dropping Paul Simon but she was like if all of you can if anyone could get a Paul Simon song written about them I highly recommend it <laughs> you know <laughs> and apparently he's quite short and so it's she yes. and they'd be like don't stand next to me at parties we look like salt and pepper
2: shakers <laughs>
1: on top of all this uh she also writes about some pretty painful experiences too like the fact that her friend Greg died in her bed while she was sleeping next to him. Oh my god. Like to attend a Oscar's party. Um, so she was recovering from PTSD about it. That's how she opens her book, is like, all right, uh. let's talk about the dead body in my house and she Her humor has a gallows quality to it because there's a lot of, like, heavy shit that's happened to her that she makes light of, including her experience and diagnosis with bipolar disorder and drug addiction and how that's kind of, like, shaped her life over the years. And she's been very open and vulnerable about these things in her life. She was institutionalized a couple times. She's been to AA, has had relapses, the whole gambit. It's something she's always struggled with. I admire the fact that she points out, you know anyone could see my life and think that this is something because i was a celebrity but she was like you know i have siblings that you it's it's kind of like it is a an illness and it's not going to afflict everyone so although it's like kind of her environment plays into it she never blames her upbringing on her struggle with her mental health the way she talks about her diagnosis is very useful she really puts you inside her head or like her thinking process explaining what it's like to be inside the head of someone who's manic and depressive and she like gives her moods names or like it, it was very helpful to talk about like what it feels like to have a mood disorder where like everything is kind of turned up to 11 and i don't know it, it was it ended up being like a really useful guide for you know someone who might not know what it feels like but to empathize with it. And also she was getting these diagnoses in the 80s, which like was probably before I would say most people are familiar with therapy terms. So she recalls kind of like getting a diagnosis and not really like believing it because there was less information available then. So at the time of her writing, she's 52 and she's like able to talk about struggling with this in her youth all the way up into adulthood and makes light of the fact that her picture is in a psychology textbook. You, what's the one that's what? like the diagnosis? The like one Oh yeah. The the book that everybody diagnoses people with. She's in that. And she she was like for years I tried to avoid looking at the picture. I wanted to know which one they they did. She was like I've taken some bad headshots and she looks <laughs> in it and it's Princess Leia and she was like okay oh so God. it's not me who's crazy. It's that bitch. You know like <laughs> she's got a a very funny way of looking at things objectively these are all like very painful experiences but I was laughing out loud she was fucking funny like genuinely cackling like the way she unveils information she jokes about it hilarious very witty super sarcastic dark humor like smart woman you know and um she describes this conversation with her daughter, Billy, wanting to be, like, a comic instead of a neurosurgeon. And Carrie's like, well, Billy, you've got a lot to laugh at. Your mother's, like, a manic depressive, and your father is, like, hooked on dope. Your grandma tap dances, and your and uh, and your dad left me for a man. And her daughter was laughing at that, and Carrie goes, that's going to save your life, the fact that you can laugh at it all. And not to make this about me, but there, her sarcasm <laughs> and, like, opinionated eccentric family really reminded me of all the women in my family and i think that's one of carrie's like many talents that she took this space princess icon like and had audiences connect with this person and this character and made her a character that everyone could find something in and i think that's why she's so sorely missed like why the internet really mourned when they lost carrie and and debbie at the same time so tragic it was tragic and I uh the memoir is really funny so I'll leave you it's super quotable I'll leave you with a quote like the last thing that she reads in the book outside of the author's note and she's doing her speech from Star Wars which funnily enough when she got cast her friends said I thought that was the title of your parents memoir you know Star Wars oh. um <laughs> <laughs> that's funny she goes I can't forget that stupid fucking hologram speech. That's why I did dope. And she's like yelling it at the end of the audiobook. So if you think that's, that kind of dark humor is for you, I highly recommend that was Wishful Drinking by Carrie Fisher.
3: How many stars? I gave five stars. Ten out of ten. Oh, yeah, ten, ten, out, out, of ten. out of ten. I'm a Star Wars nerd, so I've I'm never like seen Carrie. Star
0: Wars. I, know. Oh <laughs> I feel like you'd like <laughs> it. I know. I tried once. My brother and I were both homesick. We had our consoles out at the same time, and he was like, was like, "This is what we're watching." It was like one in the middle. There's too many. Oh, right. like, there are a lot. There's too many, and it's
3: confusing, like where to start. Really, because yeah, they're, they're, and now like, there's like start with new
1: Disney Hope. Plus stuff. Oh like, no, the new stuff is trash. But <laughs> a Star Wars for me is like the thing that my dad loved growing up, and then when the Phantom Menace stuff came out we went and saw it. it's always been like special to our family yeah. and princess leia was like really fun did it was i obsessed with princess leia i don't maybe not until i was older I, was i like damn that bitch is funny she emily's interviewing the herself she's like no one would wear that idiotic hairstyle in real life this is how you know men wrote this <laughs> so oh <my> gosh. <laughs> that's funny um yeah anyways uh kayla what are you reading next
0: i'm gonna read to love and to loathe by martha waters i think it's like a bridgerton-esque regency
2: oh fun rom-com libby um i'm gonna read magic for liars by sarah gailey which i know we all are yeah (laughs) (laughs) book club pick uh emily our irl book club not (laughs) that oh yeah oh
1: yeah yeah. now we gotta keep track of those things (laughs) Uh, I'm going to continue with Carrie's memoirs. So I want to read The Princess Diarist, which is her notebooks that she kept on the set of uh,
3: Star Wars. Oh, cool. So I want to read that one. That's, That's cool. cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Becky? I really think we should rebrand up next because I'm probably not going to read that next. And I haven't read anything I've said next next. And we're all mood readers. i mean, yeah. be silent. Yeah. Yeah. What do you
1: want to re- rebrand it Rebrand
3: it to on my TBR?
1: Oh, do we change the end structure? Oh my God. Does the Cute. world tilt on a different axis? Yeah, I like
2: it. <laughs> no, I like that. Because it is true. I feel like very rarely.
1: I go down the
0: list of my TBR and just exactly. pick one to like... say. <laughs> so on <laughs> your TBR? It's literally on my TBR. Okay, Hell so. yeah.
3: Okay, so on my TBR is The Bohemians by uh, Jasmine I just Darsic. read that. And yeah, that was, you said that was up next for you. Oh, um, I did? Yeah. See? Like, before what I mean, on, I forget what I say. I'm going to read that. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Same.
1: Yay. Where can they find you on the internet? You can find gonna, me. Like, say that a little why bit did louder. You, <laughs> why <laughs> Where I mean, can they alone. find you on the internet?
3: I'm at Becky in the Bookshelves. Where are you? I'm at the Lazy Library.
0: I'm at Sleep, Run, Read, Repeat. I'm at What, And you can find all of us at Books in the City Pod. Make sure you're using our hashtag my books in the city whenever you're posting something we inspired you to read please make sure you're following subscribe whatever it is you have to do on whatever podcast platform you're listening on follow us on twitter at batc pod, like our facebook page books in the city pod join the fan club for a bunch of fun stuff and
3: yeah if you're still here comment a celebrity that you want to that you want to remember yeah 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 Thank you to our carry level producers, Diane Worth, Riley Harrell, Carrie Kissinger, Brenna Collins, Amanda Borgia, Elizabeth Jamka, and Susie Southwick. Yay. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening.
2: Bye. Bye. Love you.